If there is a model for how small grassroots organizations serving a community grow into a force that accomplishes their goals, it is Solidarity. Solidarity is one of the 29 recession star organizations that grew from small to large with surprising success against the backdrop of the Great Recession. You can go back and listen to our podcast on the recession stars and the seven-step cycle of success if you missed it. You started at $156,000 in 2008. You were at 645000 in 2012. That's a 419% growth. You we're at a million dollars by 2018. So that's a 65% growth since the recession started, um, after the recession started, and 642% overall. It's pretty good, nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. It didn't feel like that during it, but yes. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I've also taken it down this year, so <laughs> I don't know how good that <laughs> By 2018, the end of my study, Solidarity had reached the million dollar mark, the line that is a statistical predictor of success. Less than 15% of small organizations ever accomplished this in normal times. In the recession, it was less than a half percent of success stories. How did they accomplish this feat against all odds? Welcome to 501c3 BS, busting the myths of the social sector and deprogramming you for organizational growth. Brought to you by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton College of Business and Economics, celebrating our 25th anniversary year in 2021. I'm Zoot Velasco, director of the Gianneschi and your host for this podcast journey. Solidarity is a faith-based organization started by young evangelists of color who came from great middle-class homes and wanted to live a life of service to those in need in an honest way. They saw some of their forebears as working in patronizing ways from a place of privilege, and they wanted to be part of the community they serve. You know, Zoot, it's funny because we were so, maybe I, Kevin would say idealistic. Um, we were so like, we were really like vision, mission oriented, like kind of all out, like, dude, we're just, we're in it. We're, we're here. Um, and, and that was always inspiring to people. And so they just wanted to support that. So, um, but then the authentically being in the space, I think really helped as well. Cause you know, yeah. Cause like you said, we, we moved in those, those neighborhoods. We, we were there. So if our neighbors had roaches, we had roaches. Like that was, so those are compelling stories. And so we tried to start telling a lot of those stories. Solidarity was founded by Tommy Nixon and Kevin Choi. Tommy led the organization till recently when Kevin took over. Tommy has moved on to new challenges. So I, I actually, I transitioned out of Solidarity. I'm, a, I'm the CEO of something called Urban Youth Workers Institute. So we're like a national, international, like leadership development org that works specifically with like next generation ethnic urban leaders. Solidarity started from a need caused by the recession when summer camps were closed. Developing partnerships and a network in solving this need would go on to help them grow in many other ways. Um, like one of those things was soulful. When the state of California cut all the summer schools, we were able, because of our network in the city, we were able to respond to that and like replace, basically replace uh, summer school in, in a number of uh, low income schools. That was a big one. Um, with no one paid for it, it was all free. And so, and that was kind of part of the, that was part of it, I think, in this whole thing, Zoot, is that we were really agile and we we're a little crazy. Like we were so like, 
value base that we just did everything like it didn't matter there weren't like a lot of barriers like oh we don't have any money or we don't have a lot of staff or but we just figured out ways to to make it happen so that first year it was within six weeks we were able to like pull off this huge summer program like citywide it was pretty awesome but and then we did during that time we did create um a social enterprise but but mission based yeah um and that was that was screen printing it was because super random somebody's like hey i have all these this screen printing equipment do you want it and i i was like <laughs> yes. and and then was able to talk to somebody else and give them that equipment to so that we could actually do business with them and it was a huge print shop and that's how that's how we actually made money from it. Yeah. Can I can I just tell you something that your story is the same story I keep hearing and the same thing we did at really? Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's when leaders uh, look for resources that are not money because most what most people do is they go out and look for money, right? Like yeah. I'll do something if you give me money, but it's the yeah. leaders that look for resources that are not money, create something out of nothing. And yeah. then the money comes because people notice it. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. So it was, I think it was that. And then another factor was, you know, collaborations and partnerships were huge, but the way we did that was always like, it was very value or mission based. It was like true partnerships. Hey, we all care about seeing this neighborhood get better. Let's partner. And that kind of openness to do that, not caring who got the credit or whatever people were like, they start trusting you. Yeah. So when they trust you and they know that you're not just there for, for you or for your org or that it's kind of a scarcity mindset, you know, or it's like, uh, you know, I got to keep this away from you. And I got people so that when things came down, it, they would call us instead mm -hmm. of, you know what I mean? Instead of me like going and trying to network, you know, cold calling or showing up places. And, and so people trusted that. And that was a huge one as well. Don't you think some of that trust came from because you were out there willing to do something with no money and just, they saw your commitment? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, if you, in general, if you're not, if you're not an a-hole, you know, it helps, you know what I mean? So, which, you know, I could be either, either one. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that I absolutely think that's Yeah, true. it does feel like Zoot, that, that after that time was soulful, we had a smaller base of people, but it just got so much wider. So then it was easier to ask for those smaller gifts and everything at that point because people trusted us because they saw what happened. All right. So your first six weeks, you're working with nothing, basically. Just, just volunteers and people. It's like you're Tom Sawyer, you're painting a fence and everybody comes and joins in, right? Yeah. And uh, so in what way did the money start coming? Um. Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, so I think after that, then people were like, we, we gave them a way to join in and then their experience of that, then they kept on coming back and going, Hey, what else can we do? And so then we had to play that game between like uh, creating ways for people to join in, but keeping it mission oriented, which was hard because sometimes, you know, we worked with a lot of churches and we, and churches would be like, you know, they, they have their own agenda or they'd want to do it their way or they would, you know, there's a lot of issues there. Um, so part of our thing was like helping them train them on how do you engage well in the neighborhoods. And so 
um, I think then we created a value there and that also helped with the money as well, where they were like, oh, there's a different way to do it. And so there was some like nuance and, and kind of niche spaces there that helped with the money. Um, and then honestly, man, people noticed and another way the money came is we had people like, like it would be like Gianeshi, that there would be like these like training groups or these, someone would get a large, um, you know, federal grant and they're looking for people that are doing actual work with results and they would show up and they'd be like, Hey, Tommy, like, um, I'd love for you to be a part of this grant. Like, like AmeriCorps was huge for us. Um, even though it pays slave wages, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's crazy. but, but it was huge. It helped us, you know, grow early on. We had um, some uh, capacity building grants. That was huge. And then, and then we would just come through and then have the results. Um, All right, wait, hold on. So the capacity yeah. building grants, the first, do you remember the first one you got? I think it was like, we care America was that. Oh, really? <laughs> That's do you remember that? I, it's been so long. I don't remember. Yeah. We do, care do you remember how you got it? Like, did that come through a partner or did that come through a church? Yeah, or? I think it came it through, through a, through a partner. It was called, uh, at the time it was called Eliezer Partnerships. And it was a guy actually in, um, at, from a church, from a really large Spanish speaking church in, um, Santa Ana called Templo Cavario. And, and they were doing all this, like, you know, community development stuff. And, and that, that dialed us into that. And then we were able to get money a lot through there. Can I recap this and tell me yeah. if I got this correct? Okay. So you started with nothing, very little, and you're, you're trying to take a, a, a more Jesus center approach than a lot of churches take where they're, they're taking yeah. a more, you, you know what I'm saying, right? You're trying to, oh, yeah, dude. yeah. So, uh, so you're doing your thing. And you're working on the ground in the hood and you're getting whatever resources you can get uh, by hook or by crook. And you're not thinking about money. You're just putting together whatever you get. Hey, we want to start screen printing. We donate some paint. Hey, um, so-and-so's got this equipment. He's going to give it to us. We got to go find some paint now, right? Because I'm sure you had to find materials for that screen printing, right? So you got that donated probably, right? in the beginning so you're so you're yeah. just going out you're finding stuff without thinking about money at all you're just thinking about how can i make this work and then you're partnering with people to do that and people are noticing your work ethic and they're noticing that you really care and you're really there and you're you're committed to the neighborhood and you're not preaching at them you're working right. with them right yeah. you're solving the basic the basic needs and letting and letting your your faith speak for itself you're not out there proselytizing right yeah so so you're doing that and you're so some partners are noticing you and you're creating partnerships and those partners have grants that are putting you in on their grants and that's how you get started with your funding and then as those grants get to know you then other funders take notice of you is that correct yeah that's it and there were, I mean, in the very beginning, up to like probably around this point, like to that 156,000 in 2008, um, we, you know, that, that was all like people, that's like, that's like people like my mom or <laughs> like our friends or family. And they, so they started sending these small donations, but yeah, when you started getting into the larger money and some of the granting, that's, that's totally how it happened. Yeah. Let, so let I, me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, 
obviously your summer camps probably generated some revenue. I mean, maybe it was a pay as you go, pay what you can. I don't know. Um, maybe your t-shirt started selling and that would have provided some earned revenue. Yeah. Give so a, give me an idea yeah. of your earned revenue element of this. How did that go? Yeah. Our, you know, really though, on the, on the, um, participant payment yeah. pieces that never really brought in a lot of money. Cause we really never wanted to charge for that. We would, sometimes we would say like five bucks just so that oh, we know that trip. go up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, you know, but, the boys and girls club model is to make them pay 10 bucks a year or something just so there's some skin in the game. Yeah. And that, that was kind of what it was on that side. So that never brought in a lot of money. However, the screen printing actually at, at one point it was like 400 grand mm -hmm. a year. And, oh, and that, that's not profit, but that was total income. But, um, but we had like, at one point it had, I forget what it was, Kevin it was like, hundred something of net. Yeah, it was, it was 20 something. <laughs> it had like a, a great profit margin to it. So forget the numbers, but so that, that was huge. Um, and so that was the earned income piece was big for us because we looked out into the future and we were thought, I just thought there's no way nonprofits are going to survive without that, figuring that out. And then also during all that whole time, we kept on expanding. Yeah. I mean, we just kept on like, Okay, new things. let's do this like you know on the immigration reform on uh i mean we were even over we were even overseas what do you mean you were overseas <laughs> we were we were in we also had like a solidarity in sao paulo brazil oh that's right i remember that yeah and so what was that with, like, about like <laughs> i mean i was like when you said that at a meeting once i was like what <laughs> yeah um no totally dude i I look back on some of this stuff now. I go, wow, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, we just had one of our original like members that had a heart for Sao Paulo, Brazil. So we were working with street children and sex traffic survivors. And Is just, that because you had a member that was doing that in Sao Paulo, Brazil? And what? Yeah, did, yeah. So like, what hey, did what what did he want from you for that? I mean, what was your role in that? Really, kind of the the ethos, the the overall like st structure of it as well. Like we were like the we were like the his agency, you know. And um, so he just needed a fiscal sponsor for his work there, basically. He did, but but then it was also there's a lot more to that where it was like, hey, like partnerships, fundraising, like how do we recreate what we were doing here in Fullerton, where he was at? You don't think small, that's for sure. I mean, you're like, oh yeah, let's go international. Why not? Well, yeah, I had a whole plan. That's another thing that I is part of my theory of why organizations succeed is they have a plan and then they're they don't follow it. <laughs> because like organizations that fail fail either because they have no plan or because they stick to their plan. <laughs> organizations that succeed succeed because they have a plan but they're not afraid to veer off of it. I think another thing that was really important, Zoot, is like given the stage of what we were as an organization in 2008, um, we were just super nimble. Like I, I think out of all the staff, only Tommy had a kid at that time. And Tommy was the only one that was married, I think. So there wasn't all these other pressures. Like when, when Tommy brought us together and we were having a really hard financial time, it was more of a discussion of like, do we just keep this thing going 
and make it work as we can as a staff, no matter what. Do we have to take side jobs so that we can keep the organization running? And everybody was like, yeah, let's, let's do whatever we can to be able to make this thing go. Um, but there was less pressures of, oh, shoot, I got, a, you know, I got a couple of kids now. And I, got, I want to save for college for them and all these type of things. We're just so much younger and more nimble. And that really gave us a lot of freedom to be able to uh, persevere and kind of stick through. Well, let me ask you this then. So one of your successes is because you were not afraid to fail so you could innovate. And you're innovating because you're doing pilots out there. And if they fail, you just go on to another pilot. No big deal. But at some point, you get to a size where you start to get a reputation. Then you have a reputation at stake if you fail in something. Did you notice that there was a tipping point where that happened, where you got to a size where you became a little less free in terms of innovation because you were worried about reputation? Or no, you haven't gotten there yet. (laughs) I think, well, I think. I think that was one of my strengths, but also like a weakness as a leader was it was just always like, okay, oh, we could do this. We could do that. Um, And Kevin was always good at helping me like, just like rein it in a little bit and just be like, yeah, but you know, and so thinking about sustainability, about pacing, all those kind of things. Um, But I don't know if I ever got there. We got into a rhythm where like, okay, these are the things we're doing. We feel good and we're measuring them and are we are effective and all that. But um, but really it feels like Kevin since the transition has been working really hard to, to figure out how to just create the model that we do or that they do and, and continue forward with that. So, so I don't know if I ever got to that place, but I was very conscious about, okay, if we're going to say we're going to do it, we got to do it. And there was one grant where we, we just, we, we didn't continue on the grant because we just couldn't, uh, turn the corner on some stuff. I, I had put somebody in charge that, um, yeah, I made a mistake in leadership, you know, and, and they just could not pull it together. But that was your only real failure was this one grant. Yeah. So do you think part of it is that, um, I mean, (laughs) you're still a young organization and you're still, maybe you haven't gotten to that tipping point yet where you start to be more concerned about reputation where you're not as willing to just try anything. But um, part of it may be that you were really good at evaluating the things you did. Kevin, I mean, he's saying that you, Kevin, kind of balanced Tommy's willingness to try everything to kind of rein him in a little bit. So maybe you were the one who made sure that everything was getting evaluated so that you weren't really that risky as it sounds. Yeah, we were, we always balance each other out. I probably need now somebody more like Tommy, which is, that like pushes me to take another risk or another big uh, thing that we need. So it wasn't just like crazy, like, let's do this, let's do that. But it's also like, yeah, we were in Sao Paulo, Brazil too. So, (laughs) so. so So when I teach people about innovation, I tell them, you know, it's okay to be afraid to fail, but you need to keep it small enough of a pilot where it's okay to fail. It's not gonna tank the place. And yeah. that you that once you worked out all the kinks, you can scale up. Is that pretty much what you did? You you kept your pilots small. You evaluated them once they were working. Then you scaled them up. Yeah, and and I always thought scalability was always on my mind from the very beginning of anything. Like always. Is there anything that you would did as a leader, manager, or supervisor that had nothing to do with money, just in terms of supervising people or managing things that you uh, 
say it was part of your success? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the ways that I manage or I, I believe in leadership development is I, I'm always saying, how can I help those people be the best that they were created to be? So, so I make it about their development while we're on the, the journey of the mission. And when I did that, that's how you can have people in 2008, 2009, when I'm like, guys, it's really bad. That's how I had people go, we're with you. We'll do whatever it takes because they knew ultimately that I was for them. And so, and that I cared about their development and, but you, you led by context, creating other leaders, right? Yeah. Yeah. And always giving away, like, like working myself out of jobs always. I mean, that's how we did this. I ran the after school program and honestly I didn't like it. So I found somebody to do it really quick, you know, and that's how we built everything was who are these leaders? How are you created? How are you made? What's your giftings? How can I set you up to win? And that was a big part of my leadership. Is there a secret to finding people who are potentially great leaders? For me, it was always like, um, and, and over the years I got better at it, but somebody said, I really want to get involved. So they would always come and they'd be like, I, I want to make change the world. I'd go great. And so I'd put a barrier in front of them and see if they get over it. And if they showed up and they kept on showing up, I was for them. Um, and then, but also in that, if, if they were on staff, but they just, we just kept on failing at like putting them where they, they needed to be or where they would thrive. You know, I would let people go too. I just go, this is not your spot. And you know, go somewhere else, you know? And I wasn't a jerk about it. I was really like, yeah. And 98% of those conversations went really well because they yeah. were like, I know you care about me. I know I'm not doing a great job. Yeah. Can you help it, me find it? It's not a good match. It's just not you or us. Yeah, it's just not yeah. a good match. Yeah. Totally. Solidarity is one of the best models of how an organization can grow from small to large. They follow the seven step cycle of success I outlined in this podcast a few weeks ago. They did not come to the neighborhood with a patronizing attitude saying, I will solve your needs if you will help me out by giving me some funding. They moved into the neighborhood and became part of its fabric. They looked for resources, not money. When organizations don't look for funding to solve a problem, but instead develop a network of partners and resources to solve that problem without funding, that is when the magic happens. A grant will get us some short-term money to solve a short-term need, but a network of partners gives us long-term allies to solve long-term needs. They partnered with anyone who wanted to help and created a summer camp out of nothing. They leveraged those relationships to develop a screen printing social enterprise. They leveraged that to develop a workforce investment program. They proved their worth with hard work and created a brand that meant quality and trustworthiness. They always had an eye on earned income and they continue to do that to this day. Our thanks go out to Tommy, Kevin, and Solidarity. You are not only a great community benefit organization, but a great model for others on how to grow organically through social impact leadership. Thank you to the Gene Eshi Center for Nonprofit Research, California State University Fullerton, and the College of Business and Economics for supporting our podcast. Our supporters include the Orange County Community Foundation, Southern California Gas Company, and you, our listeners. Thanks for the music provided to us by the California-based Brazilian Coro Ensemble, Grupo Falso Baiano. Have a great week free from BS.